0: hello and welcome to catch up with the community church this week we have top A preaching on first peter chapter 1 verses 13 to 21 you can watch it on youtube if you want to watch online but you can also still listen to it here but before we listen to that let's just hear a few notices so firstly we have our prayers and many event this friday the 9th of january you can check out our website for that and also remember to look at our training. We have different training coming up this month. Check the website for that too. But yeah, that's enough of the notices. Let's get into Toppy preaching. Just going to ask Eve just to come before Toppy comes and just uh, to bless him, to pray
1: over him as he delivers the word. So Eve. Father God, we just thank you for Toppy. We thank you for what he's prepared But Father, we ask that he will speak your words for us as a church right now. Not just general words, but words right for this day, this time, this season, this place where we are. We also ask for us that are listening. We pray that we will have open hearts, that we will receive that now word for us, that we will live it, we will discuss it in life groups, that we will act on it, we will discuss it, we will pray over it, we will... Ponder in our hearts the word that you want for us in our individual lives. Ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Uh, Good to see you all uh, this morning again at our All Together service. Um, For those of you who do not know me, uh, my name is Togbo Lukemi. I'm one of the elders here at Community Church, and I'm going to be bringing the word of God this morning. So, we're going to be continuing our series this morning on study of First Peter, looking at what does it mean for us to be elect exiles. And if you've been following, uh, we started two weeks ago, and if you've been following, you know, you know that Peter was writing this letter. He was writing it to um, a group of Christians, early Christians, first century Christians who were living in what we know as modern-day Turkey, and they were going through difficult times. And they were going through difficult times because of their Christian faith. You know, many of these people were living in a society where they were probably respected, where they maybe had some level of social standing, where things were kind of going relatively well for them. But then everything changed when they decided to follow Jesus. I know some of us might be in that place. Some of us at some point in life will be in that place where things change around us. Maybe it's the way our families treat us. Maybe it's situations at work, in the community. You know, things change. And the only reason why maybe we face hostility is because of our Christian faith. So there is a lot of good stuff in this letter to those Christians how many thousands of years ago, and it's just as relevant to us now, today. So when Peter started the letter, the whole focus was about their identity. That's where he starts. He started from the place of identity. Because the thing is that for us to know how to live, we need to know who we are. If you don't know who you are, you'll find it very difficult to know how you are supposed to live. You know, how you live, it comes from that place of identity. And that's the first thing that we see Peter, you know, establishing in this letter. So over the past few weeks, he said quite a bit about the identity of these Christians. You know, first thing he said was that they are elect exiles. They're chosen, chosen by God, but they are exiles in this world, temporary residents, elect exiles. Then he says that they are born again to a living hope through the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And imagine how encouraging that would be. They've not just been born again. They've not just been born again to any kind of hope. They have been born again to a living hope. And that's true for each one of us. We have been born again to a living hope. Our hope is not dead. Our God is not dead. It is a fact that Jesus Christ rose from the grave. You know, we have been born again to a living hope. And not just that, we have an inheritance that is kept where? Where? We have an inheritance that is kept in heaven for us. I know the wonderful thing about this inheritance is that it's imperishable, it's undefiled, and it's unfading. You know, if we have an inheritance here on earth, I can say three things about it. It is perishable. It can be defiled. And no matter how shiny and glossy it looks, one day it will all fade away. But the inheritance kept for us in heaven by God, guarded by God, the almighty God, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. But he he doesn't stop there. He describes their faith as more precious than gold. We're going to talk a bit about gold later on, but... You know, gold is probably one of the most most precious elements that we know in the world today. You know, people have fought wars because of gold. People do all sorts of things to acquire gold. But Peter is saying that the faith of these early Christians is more precious than gold. And I think the final thing that I'm just going to highlight about identity in what we've done so far is this, that we are living... In gospel times. And if you look right at the end, I think, um, verse 12, before we get into what we're talking today, Peter talks about how this salvation that these Christians and us that we're living in, these times that we're living in, are times that the prophets of old diligently inquired about. They searched about these times. They wanted to know whether these things would happen in their lifetime. But God told them that these things that I've revealed are not for you, They are for those who are to come. They are for us, the church. And the wonderful thing about this is that these are things that even angels want to look into. And these are the times that we are living in. What a great privilege. This is who you are, people. Elect exiles, born again to a living hope, an inheritance kept in heaven for you, faith more precious than gold, and privileged To be living in the time of the church. That's who we are. That is who we are. And that's where it all starts from. You know, it's by knowing who we are, by understanding our identity, that we can begin to work out and understand how God wants us to live. And that's kind of where Peter is going this morning in the text that we're going to be looking at today, which is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 to 21. So he starts it out with, therefore. So he's saying, as a result of everything that I've said so far, so as a result of everything that we have read in verses 1 to 12, therefore, this is what you need to do. It says, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Amen. Amen. So, therefore... And what Peter is considering in these verses is that question that I posed earlier on. Now that we know who we are, how do we live? How are we meant to live? How are we meant to live as a result of what you've told us about yourself? Because it's all well and good knowing that we are born again to a living hope. We are elect exiles. We have this inheritance in heaven. But what does that mean to my life every single day? How do I live life? as a result of this. And that's what Peter addresses in these verses. And his instruction or his response is actually a very simple one. And it comes in the form of a command, if you want to summarize it, that he gives in verse 15. He says, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. That's it. You know, because of our identity, our response is that, We must be holy. We should be holy in all of our conduct. And Peter bases this on the Old Testament. So since it is written, and usually in the New Testament, when they say since it is written, they're referring to things that were written back in the Old Testament. This is God speaking. says, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And where Peter is taking us back to, is the book of Leviticus. And this is actually, I think, in three or four places in Leviticus where God says this. And this is just one of those places in chapter Says, And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And so again, we kind of see Peter. He's making this link between these first century Christians and the nation of Israel. You know, in the same way Israel was chosen, Israel was God's elect, these Christians are chosen. They are God's elect. And then in the same way that God instructed Israel and said, be holy because I am holy, he's saying it to those first century Christians and he's saying it to us, every single one of us, nobody excluded if you are here and you know Christ as Lord and Savior. God is saying that because I have chosen you, Be holy, because I am holy. 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 What does it mean? You know, if I asked you this morning to um, describe to me the image of someone that you would probably perceive or believe or think is holy, somebody might think of someone like this. You know, someone with this halo around their heads. You know, somebody who maybe is morally and ethically pure. They read their Bible every day. They pray regularly. They're always at every single church meeting. They serve faithfully. And you know, in some ways, you know, you're probably not too far from that because I think that is part of the outworking of when we are living our lives as holy people. But holy itself, that word holy, the root meaning of the word holy is to cut is to set apart, is to separate, is to come out, is to be different. That's what it means to be holy. So when we say God is holy, what we're saying is that God is different. He's set apart from his creation, he is distinct from his creation. When we say God is holy, we're going further than God's moral perfection. God is morally perfect, he is ethically perfect, he is supremely good. You know, There's no sin found in God, but God's holiness goes on to talk about just how set apart, how different, how unique he is from his creation. And so God is calling us to be like him. He's calling us to be set apart. He's calling us to be separate. And if we go back to Leviticus and the book of Levit- Levit- Leviticus, what we find there is that what God is doing in that book is that he's giving the children of Israel... You know, he's giving them laws and statutes. And the whole purpose of that is for them to be separate and set apart from the nations around them. So we read in Leviticus 20, 23 and 26, it says, And you shall not walk in the customs of the nation that I am driving out before you. For they did all these things, and therefore I detested them. You shall be holy to me, for I am the Lord, for I the Lord am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. That's God calling on us. God is saying that I have called you out of the world. You know, the world, the customs of the world that I have called you out from, they detest me. I'm not, I don't like it. I'm not happy with it. And I have called you to be holy to me because I am holy. I am saying separate yourself from the world in the way you live, in the way you conduct yourself, in the way you act, separate yourself from the world because you are mine, you belong to me. It's a high calling that God has called us to and we should never belittle it, never ever belittle God's high calling on us, his people. So I believe God is making two main demands from us and he's saying, separate yourselves from sin. We live in a world wo- That is full of sin, full of evil. He's saying, separate yourself from this. And he's also saying, set ourselves apart for God. Let's separate ourselves from sin and let's set ourselves apart for God. So that's what it means when God says, be holy as I am holy. You know, set yourself apart. Be different. Be distinct. And sometimes, yes, it it is hard to be different. Somewhere inside of us, all of us naturally maybe want to fit in. We don't want to kind of stick out or be odd. But God is saying, be different. He's saying, because I have chosen you, because I have called you, I have called you to be different. And he's, he's not saying that I've called you out of the world. So he's not saying I've called you to some separate place where you live a separate life. But while you are living in this world, I want you to be different. And that's what it means for us to be holy. So identity naturally should flow and lead into holy living. You know, Peter's saying, therefore, because of this identity, you need to live holy lives before the Lord God Almighty. Then Peter says, be holy, not just in some of your conduct." not just in some of the things that you do, not just on some days of the week. He says, be holy in all your conduct. All your conduct. And just to make it clear, i have put it there in the NLT version. It says, but now you must be holy in everything you do. So it's not just about when we are here on a Sunday. That's a church. It's not just when we gather on a Sunday or gather on a Wednesday at our prayer meetings, and we have a corporate prayer meeting this Wednesday at 8 p.m. at Chadwell St. Mary. It's not just then. It's not just in life groups that we are holy, but actually God calls us to be holy in everything we do, everywhere we are, every single day of the week. So tomorrow morning, as maybe you're rushing for the train at Trafford Station or whatever station you get the train from, God is calling you to be holy in all your conduct. At work, God is calling us to be holy. When we're playing, hobbies, God is calling us to be holy. Out shopping, God is saying, be holy. In a restaurant, be holy. In the community, with your neighbors, be holy. In every single thing that we do, the call upon us as God's people is that we must be holy in all of our conduct. And so we have these points at which we kind of intersect or interface with society. And there's just some of them up there. And what God is saying is that when you come in contact with society at these different points, what defines the boundaries of how you conduct yourself is this call for you to be holy. So what does that look like? Maybe let's look at it practically. I'll say one way of being holy is that if you're here, if you're married... That being holy means that you don't disrespect your spouse. You don't demean them. You don't belittle them. You don't seek to control them. You don't treat your spouse the way culture or your family or your friends or your society demand that you treat your wife. You treat your spouse, your husband or your wife the way God says you treat them because that's what it means to be holy. Being holy in marriage means that you don't go and have affairs. It means that you don't involve yourself in inappropriate relationships. That might be the way society goes, but God has called us apart from from that. And he says, be holy in all that you do. He's called us to have holy marriages because God is holy. Now, you might ask yourself, well, what about if I'm married to an unbeliever? And some of these people that Peter wrote, there were people, women there, who were married to unbelievers. And he addresses that in 1 Peter chapter 3. And he says, even if you are married to an unbeliever, he says, still be holy. And he actually goes on to say that how their husbands may be won over by the respectful and pure conduct of their wives without a word being spoken. Without a word being spoken. And... Peter is saying that actually a holy life preaches the gospel without you uttering a single word. When you are different, when you are separate, there is something attractive about the way that you live that just naturally draws and attracts people to you and preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. Being holy means that in a world where sex has been belittled, in a world where sexual purity doesn't count for much. Being holy means that you maintain your sexual purity. You don't treat it casually. That's the way of the world, but we are called to be holy. Being holy means that as an employee, where you work, you work diligently. You give your employer the best. You know, being holy means that you don't do your own things, your own stuff on your employer's time. That's not being holy. Being holy means that you don't steal from the stationery cupboard. That is not being holy. You know, being holy means that if you're a manager, you have people working under you, it means that you treat them right. You treat them with honor. You treat them respectfully. Being holy means that if you are a business owner, that you run your business in the right way and the right manner. It means that you pay your staff a decent wage. That's what it means to be holy. It means that as you deal with your suppliers or the other business that you deal with, that you deal with them in a proper manner. You don't seek to cheat them or take advantage of them. That is not being holy. We are called to be separate. Being holy means that we respect authority. We respect the laws of the land. In as much as they don't contradict the word of God. Being holy means that when I'm doing my tax return, I don't lie on my tax return. Being holy means that I am open and upfront with what I've earned, and I pay what I ought to pay. That is being holy. Being holy comes into how I drive as well. The speed limit is 70 miles per hour, and I respect the speed limit. And that is what, is, that is what being holy is about. Being holy gets to the way I dress. Being holy talks about the fact that if I'm applying for a job, I don't lie on my CV. I don't claim to have experience that I do not have just because I want to get that job. That's not holiness. Being holy means I tell the truth. I give, I give everything, you know, the way God wants me to do. I'm holy in the way I speak. I'm holy in the way I conduct myself. And I hope we're beginning to get the drift here that, you know, being holy means that we are called to be different in every single way from the world that we live in. What is normal for the world should never become normal for us. You know, being holy means being like Daniel. You know, Daniel was in a place where possibly nobody would have seen if he ate the king's food or drank the king's wine. But Daniel, we're told, resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. And so he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And you know what? Sometimes when we choose not to be holy or we choose to conform to the world, is because we're afraid that we're going to be missing out on something. But what are you afraid of missing out on? Are you afraid of missing out on what the world has to offer, which if you are an elect exile and you recognize you're a temporary resident in this world, that shouldn't count for anything. Or are you afraid of missing out on what God has to offer? Daniel and his friends didn't miss out. In fact, we're told that at the end of 10 days, they were better in appearance, fatter in flesh, than all the youths who ate the king's food. When we are holy, we don't miss out on the best of what God has for us. God has called us to be holy. So just a few things that kind of to encourage us that we see here, to encourage and motivate us um, to live holy lives. You know, we've talked about identity. It starts from that place of identity. Then it starts with the mindset as well. It's about a change of mindset. You know, Peter says, prepare your minds for action. And if you have the King James Version, you'll probably be something like, gird the loins of your mind. You know, he's talking about the robes that they used to wear in those days and how they would have to gather those robes if they wanted to run or get ready for war. Gather the loose bits. So those loose thoughts in your mind, you know, gather them, gird them, get rid of them. Those things that are holding you back from being holy, from pursuing a holy lifestyle. You know, what do you watch? What do you watch? What do you listen to? what do you read what do you feed your mind with cuz very often what we feed ourselves with will translate into our actions are you feeding your mind with things that would encourage you or move you to live holy live right for god or feeding your mind with things that would want to make you conform more to the ways of the world now be sober minded be alert be self-controlled, be disciplined. And it says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, have your mind fully on eternity. Have your mind fully on Christ's return. You know, that's one of the things, I, that's one of, I think, the most important things that would kind of help us detach ourselves from the stuff going on around us because the reason why we struggle sometimes is because we have our minds fully on what's going on here in this world, we want to enjoy the riches of this world. And Jesus says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. If you feel your treasure is all that this, the world has to offer, your heart will be here. If your treasure is where it should be, in the place where it's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, then I think that will translate into how ultimately we live our lives don't go back to the old life. Don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Before we come to Christ, we're ignorant. We don't know how to live. We don't know the right things to do. We are ignorant. We live lives of sin. But once we come to Christ, we are no longer ignorant. That's why Peter says it's our former ignorance. And don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. And you know, sometimes not being conformed to those passions means we cut things off. It means that maybe we have to cut out some friends that encourage us in those passions of our former ignorance. It means sometimes we stop going to places where we used to enjoy the passions of our former ignorance. And cutting off is painful. Because when you prune something or cut something, it's, it's not something that you do willingly. It's not enjoyable. It is painful. But in that pain, you become more and more the person that God wants you to be. So don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. And he says do that as obedient children. And that's another point there, that being holy stems from a place of knowing God as Father. If you don't know God as Father, don't recognize Him as Father, you will struggle. Because that place of being an obedient child that doesn't come Conform to the passion of the former ignorance is be, comes from a place of knowing God as Father, and in that verse, in this verse it says, "If you call on Him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time of exile." If you call on Him as Father, so it's really important because the thing about a child is that children, or we we often would want our children to resemble us in some way. And God is calling us in that same way, because that's why he says, be holy as I am holy. Be like your father. As obedient children, be like your father. And that comes from a place of knowing and understanding God as father. And sometimes, yes, we might, if we've not had maybe good relationships with our earthly fathers, that could cloud the way we see God. But God is far better than any earthly father. And we need to get into his word and see, because I one of the greatest revelations that Christ gave was the revelation of God as father. If you read through the Old Testament, there is, no, there is not much mentioned there in the Old Testament of God as father. I think there's probably one mention where it talks about him being the father of the nation, the father of Israel. But in the New Testament, we are invited into a personal relationship with God where we are his children and he is our father. God will judge. So if none of the rest of that motivates you, understand that God will judge. He's an impartial judge as well. He says he will judge impartially according to each one's deeds. Now we have to be careful here. Peter is not um, pushing or advocating a works-based salvation. No, he's not saying that. You know, we are still saved through faith in Christ. But Peter is saying is that the outworking of that faith should result in works that show who you are. And James picks up on that where he says, but some will say you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. What James is saying is that through the works I do, you will see my faith. The way you live your life should show who you truly believe in. It should. That's what God says. You know, it, it's not a case where, yes, I am saved, but then your life doesn't match up to it. If that's the case, then you need to go and ask yourself, "That am I truly saved? Because if you are truly saved, the outworking of it should be evident in your life. The power of God, the power of the Spirit, the power of the Word of God at work in your life should be evident in the way that you live your life. Then remember what Christ has done. Remember what Christ has done. Say, know that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Christ. The most, Two of the most valuable things in the world today, silver and gold, Peter says that they're perishable because they will pass away with this world. But what we were ransomed with was not with perishable things like silver and gold. It was with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or spot, foreknown, chosen before the foundation of the world, but made manifest in the last times for the sake of all of us. That's what ransomed us. That's what brought us out of the kingdom of darkness into God's kingdom. That's what rescued us from slavery to sin, and brought us into a place where we can stand before God, righteous, and that is all because of the blood, the precious blood of Christ. I want to appeal to you this morning. If nothing else will motivate you to live your life for God, if you are called by his name, you've given your life to Christ, if nothing else will motivate you, let the fact that Jesus Christ shed his precious blood, on the cross of Calvary for you. Let the fact that he was beaten, a crown of thorns was placed on his head, and he went through all of that, not because of anything that he had done. He went through all of that for the sake of you. If nothing else will motivate you this morning to be holy in all of your conduct as the one who has called you is holy Let the sacrifice of Christ motivate you to do that. You know, say this morning that because of what Christ has done, because he gave himself for me, because he suffered the death, the punishment that I should have suffered, I will do what I can by the power, the strength of the Holy Spirit to live a holy life before God. That's what God has called us to live. And yeah, you might say, but it's hard. Can I do it? I want to encourage you and say, yes, you can. You know, if you want to live a holy life through your own human power, human strength, you will fail woefully. All you're going to end up with is rules and regulations and self-righteousness. So trying to do it by yourself is a recipe for failure. But we rest on God. We rely on God. And the wonderful thing is that, like Paul writes here in Thessalonians, it's the will of God that we should be holy. And I believe that whatever God wills, He enables and empowers us to be able to do it. It doesn't just say it's my will, your sanctification, go and sort it out yourself. No. He wills it, and He will empower and enable us to do it. He does it through His Word. You know, Christ says, "Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. You know, God does it through his word. And I believe that the more we get stuck into the word of God, the more we read the word, we study the word, we meditate on the word, as we comprehend the truths of Scripture, as we obey the word, as we obey the word, it changes us. Changes our mindsets. Changes our values. Changes the way we think changes our lifestyles. It changes everything about us. And then we are blessed as well to be people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's a true statement. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So if you are gratifying the desires of the flesh, you need to walk by the Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit be a tangible part of your life. Allow him to lead you. Allow him to guide you. Allow him to expand scripture for you. You know, walk by him step by step. Keep in step with him. Allow him to lead you in all that you do. Commit your day to him. Be listening to what what is the Holy Spirit saying? What scriptures is he bringing back to your mind in different situations? This whole thing is about living a life that is completely submitted to God. Not living for myself, but living for him, for him alone. And the last thing I want to say there is the church. God has given us one another to help ourselves live lives that are holy for him. And I think part of this, a big part of this, is us being in a place where we are open to one another where we can be vulnerable to one another. So that if we are going down a wrong wrong path, we've got brothers and sisters who can pull us and encourage and say, no, this is the way that you need to go. You know, every time we meet, we should be considering, how do I stir up my brother to love and to good works? Not how do I make my brother or my sister upset or annoy them? How do I stir them up to love and to good works? And let's not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some. Let's not neglect to meet together. And if there are people that you haven't seen for a while, reach out to them. Ask them, why weren't you in church today? What's going on? Let's try and carry one another along this journey because the church is important. If, God didn't, if the church wasn't important, then God would save us and we'd all be doing everything in isolation. At home, read our Bible ourselves, pray by ourselves. We won't have these gatherings, but we gather as a church because the church is important for our walk as believers. So I want to encourage us in that. So, be holy. Be holy as the one who has called you is holy. And there's a myth I want to bust this morning, actually. i have put that there. His divine power. He's given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. Now, sometimes people feel that holy living is boring living. Now, if you were here today and you saw the... Um, the video of the weekend away, you recognize that, I believe, that holy people were at the weekend away and it was not boring. Holy living is not boring living. You know, holy livings may be only boring when you are not looking for the right thing or your understanding of what is boring is wrong and it's completely warped. You know, the rich young ruler, Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go and sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. When the man heard, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He did not believe that Christ could give him something better than the life he already had. And I want to assure you this morning that Christ has something far better for you if you submit yourself to him than the life, the wonderful life that you believe that you already have. So being holy, it is not being boring. It is not boring living. Christ came that we might have life and have it to the fullest, abundantly, here and in eternity. And sometimes we feel we don't have it here because we're looking at it through the wrong lens. We're looking at it through the lens of the world. And it's the lens of the world might say that your life is not abundant. But look at it through the lens of God, and you'll recognize that your life is abundant. You know, someone like Paul went through so much for the sake of the gospel, beaten, whipped, shipwrecked, but I believe that if you talk to Paul, he'll tell you that he lived an abundant life. Why? Because he was following the will of God. So I'm going to end it this morning with this Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of dispersion in Thorough and Basildon. So to us, elect exiles of dispersion according to the foreknowledge of God and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Not in some of your conduct, but be holy in all of your conduct. You know, if we are going to make a difference for God in the world that we live in today, it's going to start from that place of holiness, that place of being set apart, of being separate, of being different to the world around us. It's not not that we're not living in the world, but we are living in the world in a different way. We are living in the world as citizens of heaven, not as citizens of the world. So living in the world as citizens of heaven, behaving as citizens of heaven, talking as citizens of heaven, doing everything as citizens of heaven, but still living in this world. And that's what's going to attract people, I believe. Sometimes without a word being spoken, doesn't mean we won't speak words. We'll talk about that later in Peter. It doesn't mean that we will not speak words, but sometimes without a word being spoken, we'll be able to attract people to the one that we serve, the Lord God Almighty. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Just going to give all of us some time just to think on these words. Think about your life. Think about how these words apply to you. You know, you know you know, yourself far better than anyone else does, apart from God. Are you living a holy life? Are you living a life that is set apart from Him? A life that is distinct from the world around you? You know, can people around you, people at work, family, neighbors, can they look at you and actually say, yes, this person is different, there is something different, different, something distinct about them. There is just something about their life. Can they see that in you? You know, for some of us this morning, it, this might, message might be a call to repentance. You know, we come to God and say, Lord, you know, I acknowledge where I've got it wrong. Maybe the specific things that God has been speaking to you this morning It might be about your marriage. It might be about your family, relationships with your children or children, relationship with your parents. Maybe a work situation, specific things that God has just called to your attention this morning. And he's saying, submit to me. I've chosen you, I've called you. Be holy as I am holy. Be holy in all your conduct. And we thank God because when we come to him in repentance, he is just, he's merciful, he's faithful to forgive. And he's willing to forgive you this morning and just get you on that path to living your life completely for him. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, my Lord, we thank you and we bless you. We give you praise and glory. We thank you, Father, for your word. It says the entrance of your word, it brings light and it gives understanding to the simple. And Lord, we are simple people. We are simple people. And I just pray that the, your word this morning, Lord, would really have made a difference in our lives, a difference in our hearts, almighty God you know, things that you've highlighted to us, areas of our lives, aspects of our lives that you've pointed out to us, Lord. That we will be moved this morning by the power of the Holy Spirit to make a change, to leave those former passions of ignorance behind, to no longer be conformed to them, and to live the life that you want us to live, Almighty God. And I just pray that this, Thing, Lord, about maybe kind of being drawn in or sucked in to what the world has to offer, that we'll recognize that you offer far, far more. Far, far more in this life and far, far more in the life to come. We just need to see things, Lord, the way you see things. And I pray this morning that you'd open my eyes, open the eyes of my brothers and my sisters to be able to see things the way you see things, Almighty God. And I pray that not just um, as individuals, Lord, but even as a church, that we will be a holy church, Lord. That we'll be a church, Father, that will just uh, be out there in the community, but at the same time, people will see that there is something different about us. And that will just attract people to want to be like us, to be a part of us and have what we have. King of kings and Lord of lords. So I want to thank you for my brothers and my sisters. Thank you, Lord, for your church, Lord. Thank you for everything that you are to us, Lord. You know, you are indeed a a wonderful God. You are a a holy God, Lord. And I just pray that you would open our eyes to just see and understand more of what it means when we say that you are a holy God. You know, just bring us into your courts, almighty God. Let us have experiences like Isaiah who said, woe is me when he came into the presence of the holy God. Yeah, have your way, Lord. I pray that this message, as even as we go out this week, Lord, that it will touch every area of our lives, Lord. Every single area of our lives, mighty God. Yes, Lord. Be glorified, King of kings and Lord of lords in Jesus mighty name Amen. Amen
0: We hope you enjoyed and got a lot out of that preach next week we'll be meeting in our separate sites that's Chafford 100 Chadwell St Mary and South Ockendon. and of course you can come back here uh, in the week to listen to it if you've missed it